we built over the course of this year a, a foundation of grace and we receive it through faith. Yeah? yeah. How are we doing with that? Because you don't sound very excited. How are we doing with that? Because I'm getting lots of testimonies about how that's affecting people's everyday lives. And I, f I find that's really exciting. I find it, you see, it's great to stand up here. Well, it's not great for me because I know what I sound like. I listen to myself all day long. And quite honestly, you know, I, you then, I then inflict me on you. But the point of this is that... that when you get testimonies back and you see that lives are getting changed, that's when it makes a difference. That's when you get encouraged. Because on a Sunday morning, I can't tell whether you're excited, you're processing, or it's having no effect. But when I get the testimonies back, then I can tell. And we've had lots of testimonies over the course of these um, five months when we've been looking at, at, at Grace Through Romans that really testify to change lives and how those lives are affecting others. And that's exciting for me. And that, that's something to, to celebrate. You see, when we understand grace, grace becomes a journey, a life journey of walking after the Spirit. And that's something we need to learn to do. We need to understand how that works. You, you, you know, the, the Bible talks about a lot about not walking after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And sadly, most of the time... Um, the body of Christ manages to walk an awful lot after the flesh. And we try and build all sorts of things based on uh, human effort, human reasoning. And that's why, to a large extent, the body of Christ appears powerless and without demonstrating the power of God. Because most of the time we spend doing the things we can do by our own abilities. And the Christian life isn't about what we can do by our own abilities. It's about accessing the power of what Christ has already done and the ability of the Holy Spirit in us to change lives and to change the surroundings around us and to bring heaven to earth and, and to see the impact of the kingdom on people's lives. And so we need to learn how you walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Yeah. Do, do you get that? So... Paul, he's been talking in his letter all about what the difference is and, and how, how it, you know, it's not about law, it's not about following rules, it's actually about the, the new man, the new creation that you are, that your spirit is one with the spirit of Christ and you live from that place. You are a new person, a new creation. And what Paul is saying is when you start to see yourself as that new creation, you will start to become that new creation because you will engage with the power of God that is in you. Are you getting this? Yeah. And so that, that's what this is all about because God is in the business of changing lives and right now he's in the business of changing your life right when you sat there if you receive what, what you hear and act on it. Yeah. Because you have to engage with your spirit. You, you, you know, we, we need to see ourselves as spirit beings and learn to walk after our spirit. You know, the, one, of the, one of the things is that it's a, it's a yet unfulfilled, unfulfilled prophecy that creation will see the sons of God. Now, God is spirit. So the way creation sees the sons of God is when we learn to walk after our spirits and not after our flesh. When we learn to build the kingdom, not on our own efforts, but Christ's efforts and Christ's power. And that, that's how it, how it comes. So Paul starts to talk about this in Romans chapter 12. 
And he says this, I urge you therefore, brethren, it's verse 1, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable and perfect. There's some of the most powerful verses in the Bible, if we can get hold of them. And, you know, I, 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 if you've been following on Facebook, the reason I mention this is that I've been putting up this week, one each day, a thing about how our thinking is different if we're after the spirit rather than after the flesh. And somebody on Friday commented on this and, and they said, um, it's great to see somebody talking about how we, we function as body, soul and spirit. And, and to me, when I get that sort of comment, it still shocks me that so little of what the church talks about is, a, is actually about who we are and who Christ has made us to be so that we can actually be that, that powerful person that Christ uh, gave us a new life to live. And, and it still surprises me. So, I, you know, I responded, yeah, it, it, it does really surprise me how little we talk about these things when actually this is the most important thing. After salvation, learning to be who Christ made us is the most important thing. And we'll talk about all sorts of things and yet not that. You know, I sometimes I sit at home and, and I think like all those years I was in church before I heard this, what did people talk about? Like, what, what did I hear? Like, which, which small part of the Bible were they talking about? Because it's all the way through. You see, when you're born again, you are changed. And the, the, the natural person you were um, gets changed because your spirit is born again and becomes one with the spirit of Christ. And it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Galatians 2.20. But what happens is that at the moment we're born again, our minds don't change. I mean, they, they might feel a bit better for a little while, but generally, we've all accumulated baggage. How many of you sat there going, yeah, I know I've got baggage? You know, I, I know, even now, I have baggage, because, and I've been on this process a long time. And we all have stuff, but the biggest baggage we have is that we don't see reality as reality is. We see reality on the basis of what we can see, feel, touch, hear, smell, what we got told at school, what the textbooks told us, and what everything else has told us all our lives. You see, that's not reality. That's part of reality. But there's a bigger reality called the spiritual world and the spiritual kingdom. And that reality is so much more to bear than than the physical reality we see around us. The Bible tells us that the physical reality was created from the spiritual. The spiritual is the primary one. Now, what does that mean? It means that if you can only think in terms of physical reality and sorting things out and coming up with a plan and, and making things happen and uh, six steps to this and, and, and self-help and all the rest, if you can only think in those terms, if you only think that when a doctor tells you you're ill and there's nothing they can do about it, if you think that's the end of the story, that's what you'll get because that is your reality. But the truth is there's a bigger reality called the kingdom of God 
that affects the physical reality. And our re- the, the, the process of renewing our mind is so that we take into account that spiritual reality we now have access to. And that, that's what he's talking about. And so what he's saying is that you, you, go, you guys, you know, everybody who is a believer carries a load of belief systems that don't take account of everything. They only take account of that physical reality. And they may, ta- they may take account of it on a really distorted basis. You know, my mum my had a particular worldview that didn't really do me any good as I was growing up. It didn't, it didn't teach me how to deal with life. It just taught me to be fearful of everything and expect everything to go wrong because that's what, the way my mum thought. And that took years to get out of my system. But the truth is, as a born-again believer, your born-again spirit contains everything you need in this life for life and godliness. And and we understand how that works through the promises of Christ as we get to know what God is like and what Christ has done for us. And when we start to see things that way, it changes the life we experience here and now. Because you've got to change your thinking to change your life. Because as long as, as, as you carry on thinking like you did, you'll still react to everything like you did. You'll still believe everything the same way as you did. And you won't see the full manifestation of the kingdom in your life. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what you think inside is who you are. It's, it's what you... What, I guess it, it's what you be. I know that's not good English. But basically, what, the way you think inside determines how you react to everything, how you approach everything, how you deal with the problem, how you face bad news, how you face crises, how you face good things. It affects it. And one person faced with the same circumstances as another person can have a completely different outcome from those circumstances because they thought differently. And Paul's saying, if you think like God thinks, it will change your life and it will change the lives of people around you and it will change the place you live in. But to do that, you have to renew your mind. And so there's three elements to renewing your mind in those verses. What's the first element? First element's this, that you are a living sacrifice. How many, how many people here think that doesn't sound too cool? You know, it's like, just for this sake, I'll, I'll put you out of your misery. That does not mean you have to be burnt at the stake or sacrificed on an altar, okay? That's not what it's talking about. You're not going to be buried alive or anything like that. By the way, how many of you know, you should know by now, you're already dead anyway and you're alive in Christ. Your old man is dead, so we're talking to the new man. What's it mean for the new man to be a living sacrifice? It means this, that you have to be willing to change. To change, you have to be willing to change. And the reason for that is that God is not a bully and he's not relating to you on the basis of force. He's relating to you on the basis of relationship. And when you relate on the basis of relationship, the Holy Spirit doesn't force anything on you. You have to invite him to change you. And so when we're a living sacrifice, it means that we open up 
ourselves for God to change. So that the, the way we think and the way we see things and the way we react to things more and more reflects who we are in our spirit and less and less reflects who we are in our flesh. And the, 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 the outcome of that is that if we, if we hold back areas of our life, and, you know, we see, Cheryl and I see this a lot, where there's no go areas in people's lives that, that God doesn't have any access to. We have, a, we have our Christian face on a Sunday. And yes, I can get to all that. Our Christian faces are there this morning. I can confirm that. But the reality is, on Monday, our life might be totally different. Because we, we, we've got used to presenting our best face in different circumstances. You know, I really wish people's lives were as good as they appear on Facebook. Because everybody's got a better life than me. Have you ever, have you ever thought that? You, see, you do not think like, you look at Facebook and you go, man, I wish I had their life. And they're all going, man, I wish I had their life. Because we, we, we only allow access to certain parts of our lives to certain people. The problem is when we start doing that with God or carrying on doing that with God, he can't get to those areas to bring about the transformation he wants to in our thought processes. So being a living sacrifice means we've got to be willing to change in all areas. So that's the first thing. And, and that, that really reflects what will reflect in what you prioritise in your life. You know, you can't be a living sacrifice and say, God, you've got two minutes a day. After that, your time's up. We're in a relationship with God where our day is spent with him. Whether we're working, studying, whatever. But many of us fill most of our day and do it without God alongside us. We have no dialogue with God in our day. And then what we fill it with is, you know, a lot of stuff... We fill it with media, we fill it with Facebook, we fill it with TV, we fill it with films, we fill it with games, we fill it with all sorts of things. And what you prioritise in your life will reflect the amount of change you see in your life. If you prioritise the word of God in your life, you will see a lot of change in your life and you will see a lot more manifestation of the kingdom than if you don't prioritise that. Because if you don't prioritise that, you are focusing on other things and they are shaping the way you think. Because the second thing that Paul says is don't be conformed to this world. What does it mean to be conformed? Well, basically it means this. It means to assume the shape of. Don't assume the shape of what everything that the world is telling you. Because it didn't work for you before you were a believer and it definitely won't work for you now. Because it is not giving you a correct view of reality. Um, another way of putting that is don't be poured into the mould of. You know, like that, that, that pressure of heat where, that you see uh, bronze and stuff moulded with. Don't be, don't be pressure cookered into just being like everybody else. And then he says, instead of that, be transformed. So don't be conformed, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And I'm sure a lot of you know that word transformed is a translation 
of a Greek word, metamorpho. And that's where we get metamorphosis from, uh, which is, you know, like grubby, horrible little hairy caterpillar that eats all your nice garden plants, wraps itself in a cocoon, and when it comes out, it's a beautiful butterfly. And it flaps around your garden, and you go, oh, there's a butterfly. But it's a total transformation from something that, that was just hairy and smelly and things to something that's beautiful. And, and that's what, what Paul is talking about. And he says that transformation occurs by renewing your mind. That's the method of renewing your mind. Now, the way God changes us, and, and this is like kind of the really important bit that, that, that he's trying to launch off on in this passage. You see, we are not changed by law. Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. And, and a lot of us, what we've tried to do is we've become a Christian by grace and then we've tried to sort our life out by our own effort, our own abilities, our own talents and, and keeping rules. And there might not be, a, a, like, we might not have like a list of rules, but there's a list of behaviours that you adopt because you're a Christian. And, and you try and try and try and keep everything and you fail. And what Paul is saying is that that system doesn't work in bringing about real change. So don't try it. The system that works in bringing about real change has two components, the word and the spirit. And the spirit uses the word to change you by changing your mind about how you see reality, by changing your mind about to understand things the way God understands them instead of the way people understand them and textbooks understand them and newspapers understand them. To live differently, you are going to have to think differently. That's why we're doing the kindness thing. To get us to think differently. We're going to take 30 days to form a new habit. And the way we'll form the new habit is releasing the fruit of the spirit that's already in you. How do you know who you are? How do you know what you look like? I can guarantee you, you have never seen what you look like. Not face to face, you haven't. Because you can't see your face. So how do you know what you look like? You know what you look like by looking in a mirror. How do you know who you are as a born-again believer? You look in a mirror. What's the mirror? It might not look like a mirror in your bathroom, but that's the mirror. This tells you who you are now that you are born again because you are not who you were. You are not dominated by sin. You do not have a sin nature. Sin does not rule in your life. You have the spirit of Christ living in you. You are a walking, talking, powerful being who is seated with Christ in the heavenly places, full of his spirit, alive to God, um, able to overcome any situation by the power of Christ in you, and you are more than a conqueror. That's who you are. And you're going, well, I don't feel like more than a conqueror. Well, look in the mirror. It will tell you you are more than a conqueror. And the more you look in the mirror, the more you will see yourself as you are. 
Let's go to James chapter 1 and, and, and just to prove that this is the mirror. Okay, I'm not talking out my um, imagination. This is the mirror. The Bible says it's the mirror. James chapter 1 verse 22. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who are deluded. For anyone who's a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks in a natural face at his natural face in a mirror once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So, we want to be a doer, not just a hearer. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Christians in this land who are not making any difference because they're hearers and not doers. But I thought you said you didn't have to do, Mark. Listen to you. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. What, what are you a doer of? You are a doer of the law of liberty. That's not the law. The law of liberty is grace received through faith. It's the finished work of Christ. What, 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 we, what we are to be is hearers of the message of this, the, the, the simple gospel and then we live it. That's the way we are doers. We live from that place. We stand in grace. When the pressures of the world come, we stand believing God, trusting God, eyes on Jesus and we don't get shift from the place of grace to a, a place where we try and take responsibility or everything and sort it all out for ourselves we trust God we trust God we trust God to provide we trust God to heal we trust God to change we trust God to deliver we trust God to set us free that's doing the law of liberty that's how we become a doer it's not about us doing things to earn God's approval it's about us doing what we've heard and what we've heard is we are a transformed person who has the ability to live 100% Holy Ghost. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Okay, so let's move on. What's the outcome of renewing your mind? Come on to these verses. It's to prove the will of God. It's to prove it. What does it mean to prove it? Because it's, it's kind of an odd word. It's like... Is he saying, well, if you can live up to all this, you'll prove it was right? No. Quite the opposite is what he's saying. What he's saying is this. Prove here is in the context of examination. When you look at something. So you know, um, you know this isn't an original illustration. I've heard it lots of times. But you know the idea, some of you have heard it because you've done it in your life groups recently. When they find an, a painting that's been lost for years, they send it to a guy who's an expert in paintings. Like if, if there's a missing Van Gogh or something turns up, they'll send it to this guy who's an expert in Van Goghs, won't they? And he's seen lots of Van Goghs. And what he'll do is he'll look at the, the, the new painting that's turned up and he'll compare it. He'll compare the brush strokes, the, all the... Um, Stuff that's in the type of paint that's used, the way it's done, the signature on it, and, and look at the style of it. And, and at the end of all that, he'll either say, yes, that's a genuine Van Gogh, or no, it's a fraud. And what, what this is saying is, 
as a believer, you are in the same place to approve and prove that God is who he says he is and he'll do who, what he says he do. So as we renew our mind and start to think like God, it becomes evident to everybody else around us who God is and that he is who he said he was and they better get on, on, the, on the train with us because it's leaving the station now. We have approved and proved the will of God because as we think like God, what he said would manifest manifests and that shows to others and us that what he, that he is a God who keeps his promises, he's a God who loves us unconditionally and he is who he said he was. And when others see that in us and oozing out of those, they will believe it too because changed life change lives. Amen? Amen? Okay, so you got that. That's what prove it means. You see, what we're trying, what, what Paul is saying is that the only way a doubting word gets changed, a doubting world, not doubting word, doubting world gets changed, is to see the truth demonstrated. Yeah. You know, um, Shell and I have been on this journey f with uh, healing for years. Um, and we came from a background, I, well, more me than, than, than Cheryl, came from a background where God didn't heal. In fact, I didn't even know that God talked about healing. It was never talked about in the church I grew up in. Um, nobody ever got prayed for. I never heard a preach on it. I never heard anybody talk about it. I never heard anybody expect it. And when anybody got ill, they always died. And so that was my expectation. That was my belief system. And, and so that was even after I had become a believer. So after becoming a believer, what was getting reinforced in me was exactly the same thing as I believed before I was a believer. Yeah. My mind wasn't being renewed. It was getting reinforced in an even, it, almost worse way by, by religion that was saying God doesn't do anything. And when a doctor says you're going to die, you're going to die. And when a doctor says he can't cure that, he can't cure it. And that's it. And so we had reduced reality down to what we saw, felt, smelt, tasted and, and, and all the rest of it. And then we started to see and, and hear teaching that said God does heal. And then we started to see it in God's word. And so we started to have our mind changed. And as our mind was changed, um, somehow... Because I'd never heard anything before, my mind changed really quickly. And the first person I, I prayed for, so this is back in my university days, the first person I prayed for had a, a, a bent spine. And, and I said, I've just been reading this book last night that says God heals. And she was a Christian as well. She was on my course. I said, so can I pray for you and God can heal your spine? And so we, she said, yeah, of course you can. So... So I've laid my hand on the spine, never having heard anything other than what I'd just read the night before, put my hand on the spine, prayed, commanded it to straighten, and it straightened, and I felt it move and straighten under my hand. And she was never had any pain at all, and the, the doctors said it had spontaneously corrected itself. 
And so you begin this process of renewing your mind. And, and the Christian journey is a process by which we learn to think more and more like God and less and less like our flesh and less and less like human beings until we are supposed to totally think like God. That's total renewal of our mind. And the more we think like God, the more we'll see the kingdom manifest. Yeah. Are we getting this? Yeah. So that's why we have to engage with the way God sees things and engage with our spirit and not our flesh. It's crucial. So I just I want you to turn to somebody and say, I'm not going to engage with my flesh. This week, come on, there's more. This week, this week, I'm going to be conscious that I'm engaging with my spirit. So what does that mean? How can I illustrate this practically? Because I got this question in one of our live groups. I think it was actually, um, I think it was Bob that asked it. He gets in first with every question, does Bob? He's, he's, he's brilliant having me in your life group. And I can say that because he's not here this morning. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> but he came out with this question. So how, what does that actually mean then? How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you react from your spirit and not your flesh? Because I'm good at reacting from my flesh is the way he said it. <laughs> Don't agreed with him. So let, let, me, let me give you an illustration, and it's only one, one illustration, because I'm, I'm going to come back and talk about this over the, the next couple of weeks as well. But some people are really hard to love, aren't they? Yeah. You know, you just, <laughs> you encounter people that no matter what you do, they seem to turn it the other way around. And, you know, and, and I'm really grateful somebody mentioned this to me this morning, but you know, Nathan said last week, he, he mentioned Jesus saying, like, when somebody slaps you on one cheek, you turn and offer him the other. What do you do when you've run out of cheeks? <laughs> you see, some relationships get you to that point, don't they? They get you to the point where you've run out of cheeks, like you've exhausted your cheeks, you've, you've, you, you, you're sort of like bright red, your wife's exhausted her cheeks, the kids have definitely exhausted all their cheeks and it's down to the dog, you know. It's just like, whatever, whatever you do for somebody, it's not enough. Have you been in relationships like that? You, like, you, you put yourself out and, and you care and you love this person and... And somehow everything you intend gets twisted 180 degrees, rehearsed to like a bunch of other people and turned back on you as a negative. And you go, but how can that be? How is that? And, you know, we found ourselves a few times in that sort of situation. And, and because we want to be leaders who live what we say, we want to be rooted and grounded in love. But sometimes you can not understand that that is impossible in your flesh. And, and often we exhaust our love that is possible from our flesh. Mm. We'll, we, we'll love somebody and find out that they're lying about us. 
we love somebody and find out that they're undermining everything we're doing because they've got their own agenda. We, we, we'll love somebody and basically whatever you say seems to turn out 180 degrees the opposite of what you said. And, and you can't work that out in your head. And so Cheryl and I a few times have found ourselves try, you know, trying to carry on loving in that situation because we don't want to be people who say one thing and do another in our lives. But then you do get to the point where you have run out of cheeks and, and you don't understand. You don't understand why you are getting treated the way you are. How many of you have been there? Okay, that's pretty unanimous. So as loving somebody becomes harder and harder, you find out you don't want to love them anymore. You're hurt. Yeah? Even if you're doing the Christian thing and not being offended and forgiving, you're still hurt and you, you, don't, want to, you don't want to go there anymore. Is that right? But you carry on doing the Christian thing, don't you? Especially Sunday mornings. But what do you do when you're there in that place? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't walk away at some point. Okay? Some relationships are unhealthy. And if Cheryl and I have a fault, it's that we went way too far and endured too much because we wouldn't give up on relationships. But the truth is this. At some point, you're all out of love. And you're just getting hurt. So what do you do? What do you do, assuming it's not a walk-away situation? It's at that point we have to live from our spirit and not from our flesh. Because we have no ability to love from our flesh left. But the word of God says, I am love. Because I have his spirit in me. Christ is love. God is love. He lives in me. The fruit of my spirit is agape love. The fruit of my spirit is unconditional love. It says the fruit of spirit is love. That word is agape, which means unconditional love. So in my spirit, I can carry on loving, whereas in my natural, I can't. I can only assume, having examined that at great length, that my spirit has no cheeks to run out of. (laughs) It doesn't run out of love. So what do you do? Well, this is what we, we did. And each time we've done that, God has taken the situation out of our hands and sorted it. Because Cheryl and I have this fault that we won't give up on loving people. And when you get yourself in that position, what does God do? You carry on loving them from your spirit and he'll sort it. That's standing in grace. And so we can't love, but we love from our spirit. And and how do you do that? Well, it's like this. You go, God, I am all out of love. I am all out of what I can do here. But the truth is, your word says that I have love in my spirit. 
And God, I can't do this. I cannot do this anymore. I can't do this for one minute longer. So you're going to have to do it. I'm going to step right back now, God, and I'm going to let you love them through me. I'm going to let you love them from what you've deposited in my spirit. I don't want to love them anymore. I don't, I don't even want to be in the same room as them anymore. But I'm going to let you love them through my spirit. Because this is hurting me. And I now need you to take this off my hands and you do it. And, and, and so how do you do that? Well, what you do is, is you pray. And you lay yourself down as a living sacrifice and say, God, I can't do this any longer. Father, your word says that I am love. I've got no comprehension what it means to love unconditionally. But I'm trusting you that the next time I meet that person and the time after and the time after that, you're going to give me what I need to show love. You see, love is an action. Love is a doing. Love looks like something. Love isn't, the, the unconditional love isn't a feeling it's an action that flows from our spirit. So God, I'm going to trust you that you flow. You, you will flow in that situation. That, that however I feel inside, you're going to give me enough to be able to demonstrate love to that person, to go the extra mile, to, to continue reaching out when it keeps coming back and hitting me. And I'm going to trust you, God, to do that. I'm going to trust you to, to, to love them through me. You see, when you can't love anymore, God can love through you. And that's living and walking after our spirit. Now, that's one example. I'm, I'm going to come on to some more in, in, in the next, next few uh, preaches. But I just want to finish off with this. So how do you grow in your ability to live like that? Because some of you are going, well, that's, it's all very well for Mark to say that, but I, I don't know, you know, I, I can't even get anywhere near doing that. Like somebody upsets me and I'm out of there. Like first time, I'm out of there. This is how we grow. To grow well, you have to sow well. To grow well, you have to sow well. What are you sowing? You're sowing truth so that it connects with your spirit and releases what is already there in your spirit. The fruit of the spirit in you. To grow well, you have to sow well. Galatians 6 says this, Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. What you reap, that will you also sow. Sorry, what you sow, that will you also reap. You see, that serves me right from doing it from memory, whilst trying to turn the pages over. What you sow, that shall you also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit shall from the spirit reap eternal life. Let's not lose heart in doing good. Let's not lose heart in putting love out there. For in due season, we will reap if we don't grow weary. You see, we've got to be careful what we take into our hearts. And we're not. We're really just like really flippant about what we allow into our, into our lives and what we allow into our hearts and what we allow other people to sow into us. You see, if you aren't careful about what goes into your heart, when a crisis comes or an emergency comes or you get to the end of your abilities to keep 
caring about people and the, the, the hurt just grows and grows. If you are not careful about what you grows in your heart, all that will shape who you are. And as you think, so will you be. So to grow well, we've got to sow well. And what we've got to sow in is something that connects with our spirit. John 6, 63, which isn't up there because I've just thought about it, says, what Jesus is saying, he says, my words are spirit and they are life. The word of God, I don't know how this happens, it's one of them things he calls a mystery, is spirit. And when you put the word of God in, which is spirit, it connects with the Holy Spirit, which is one with your spirit, and it produces the fruit of the spirit. So the more we sow well and the more we guard our hearts from sowing badly into them, the more we will access the dynamics of who we are as sons and daughters of God. I'm doing my best. <laughs> and it, so it's so important that we put good things in deliberately. You see, the law was about stopping you doing bad things. The covenant we have of grace is about positive things and doing good things. It's the complete opposite. So we have to live under grace and not law. We have to work from a positive aspect of sowing in good things. What are the good things? Well, the right through here, but thankfully, Paul being Paul, thought the question before I did, and listed them, a lot of them. Philippians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. The peace of God which passes all comprehension or all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do you know you're guarding your hearts? You know you're guarding your hearts when what you're putting in them leaves them peace. Little simple principle for you. Because you can put a lot of stuff in your heart that looks good, but actually it's not God. So you're sowing good things in, it produces peace. And it produces peace in your mind in Christ Jesus. It shows you who you are. It shows you your righteousness. It shows you God's love for you. Finally, brethren, and it is finally because I'm finishing with this. Yay. Whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you've learnt and received and heard and seen in me Practice those things and the God of peace will be with you. You want more of God manifesting your life. You want more of the Holy Spirit manifesting your life. You want to see more of the kingdom manifesting your life. What do you do? You sow good things into your life. And the good things you sow into your life, being spirit, connect with your spirit and produce the spirit that changes things. Because change lives change lives. And the way we change our lives, the way we grow in things, the way we learn to walk after the Spirit is sowing positive, good things in. 
Now, the world understands that in a weird sort of warped way. That's why it's got the power of positive thinking. That's not what he's talking about, but you can see they nearly got there. Power of positive thinking is the right principle, but without the power of God to make it real. This isn't about positive thinking. This is about positive changing. Because the Holy Spirit is a change agent. And if you sow good things in, he'll take those and he'll change you. So you, you are good. And the world sees good. And the world sees that you've changed. And the world will want what you have and it'll want to change to be like you. That's what he's saying. The things you sow in me, imitate them. Go after them. Want them. Because I've changed. I learned this principle. I learned that if I sow good things in, I become who God made me. Because I see me as I truly am. And when I see me as I truly am, the kingdom manifests. Amen? Amen. That's good news, isn't it? Let's stand. Pray with me. Father, Father. I thank you. I thank you that your kingdom is a positive kingdom. That it works by sowing in good things. And I choose now to start a process of sowing good things to my spirit and not bad things to my flesh. I choose to look at my priorities. And change them where I need to. Lord, show me who you have made me. Point that mirror at me. Shine the spotlight on me. And let me see you. In Jesus' name. Amen.